I just learned the best spell of all. What's that? Sleep. Welcome to My Alchemical Bromance. This is Eric Arneson. And this is Joey Harrison. And our guest tonight is Keith Reddy, who is um, a secret chief and a member of the Baphomet Club. <laughs> uh, Keith, what are you? You're. you're uh, I mean, we know you're in the OTO, which is exciting, but not uh, as interesting as some of the other stuff you do. So, like, you've got some sort of degree in Western esotericism from the University of Amsterdam. Yeah. What What is it? What sort of degree? What's it called? <laughs> uh, so I uh, earned a master's at uh, University of Amsterdam. Uh, at their Center for the History of Hermetic Philosophy and History Related History of Hermetic Currents. Philosophy? Man, that sounds way cooler than just Western esotericism. <laughs> that does sound way cooler. <laughs> and, then, um, and then you're also in a, in a uh, secret initiatory order of, uh, of magicians, right? Can you talk about that at all? Is that off limits? <laughs> no, I, I should be able to say a thing or two about that, minus the goat. Oh, well, yeah, we try not to talk about the mason goat either, but, um, but it happens, you know, the goat. It's hard to get away from the goats. Uh, okay, so been an initiate of uh, Ordo Templi Orientis for uh, roughly six and a half years. Um, currently a member of Seket Mott Lodge in Portland, Oregon. Um, have served as the education secretary there uh, for about a year, and also um, deputy master for a very short period of time, um, but served in that role as well. So, what what drew you to the uh, the OTO originally? Well, that's a long story. It always um, is. But <laughs> keep it short. Just no, no, no. You can just ramble. We'll, uh-huh. we'll, we'll listen. Okay. Um, I've, uh, I don't know, been always attracted to the mysteries since I've been, uh, as long as I can remember. Since you were a wee lad. And that's what, as long as you remember, that's like, what, about 18 months, or? (laughs) (laughs) You have some impressions from, uh, even before in the womb, but I'm not, I'm not going that far. (laughs) Um, no, you should. Lon Duquette does in his book. <laughs> yeah. Really? Does he, he, he has memories from the womb? Well, from when he was in the crib, the crib. staring up at the little, you know, <laughs> the toy hanging from the ceiling and oh, yeah. feeling very conscious. You know, it's very funny that, you know, if we go back far enough and we're trying, if we try hard enough, we can find some of these early memories. Oh, some I of do. Them are quite totally. traumatizing, you know. Is it is it are they real memories though or is it uh, cryptomnesia where we're making them up or they're not or they're invented? Do could, we know that they're real memories? Could be. Who knows? Now, for instance, you know, I, I have this one memory. <clears throat> and this one came to me gosh, after I was like long after 20 years, probably around 25, 26. And I remember uh, I was brought up in Catholicism and uh, there was a little room that the kids were put in. Uh, Ooh, a priest hole? 
<laughs> you know, we're some <laughs> random brother they, was they, sitting there teaching it, us about Jesus. They call it the green room. Oh, really? <laughs> a, a, a Jesus room? <laughs> yeah, something like that. While huh. all the while all the uh, adults were sitting there giving their, um, you know, their uh, their you know praises to um, our Lord. Uh huh. And uh, all the little kids were there. I must have been maybe two or three. And like I said, this uh, memory came much later, much later in life. I remember at one point, you know, that the brother was like saying, we should all, you know, uh, you know, uh, we were reading books about like uh, Jesus and Mary and all the stories from the Bible. And then we put our heads down. Uh-huh. He had us put our heads down, and he said, I want you all to raise your hand if you are not completely certain if you accept Jesus as your Lord, Savior, thy God. And Did you raise your hand? I did raise my hand. I raised my hand, and I must have been the only kid that raised my hand because I didn't understand the fucking question at that point. You know, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> well, "That's no excuse." That's no excuse. <laughs> I was like two or three years old, man, and I raised my hand, and then all the kids were dismissed out of class, and then you know the and brother you like grabbed you me by the by the shoulder and said, <laughs> "You know, uh, did you know that this was the wrong answer?" Did you know this was the wrong answer? <laughs> and, and so many words. And I just started crying. You know, it was one of my most traumatic experiences in church. Uh-huh. I started crying. And I was like, well, I didn't know. I didn't know. And um, so that's one of my most earliest memories. <laughs> that's a uh, question. But, but funny, funny enough, funny enough, uh, another memory is... Uh, after that, I remember being so enthralled with the beautiful, ornate um, imagery in the church and the stained glass and like all of the ceremonies and everything that I'm riding in the car with my mother one day and she says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the first thing that I thought of, and I must have been four at this point. Uh-huh said I want to be a priest and you kind of are aren't you yeah yeah <laughs> are you uh, so are you a priest in the uh, ecclesiastica gnostica catholica uh, yes I am an ordained priest of the ecclesia gnostica catholica so when you joined the OTO did you join the OTO at uh, second Mo- lodge or was it somewhere else my OTO career started in um, Orlando Florida uh huh in the city of Maitland, which is just a city just uh, outside of Orlando, mm-hmm. uh, in 2010. Um, and uh, is it typical for OTO members to become ordained priests in the EGC? EGC. 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 I would say that it's uh, <clears throat> more or less expected yeah. once you get to a certain point. So when you say a certain point, does that mean like a certain degree or a certain position in the lodge? Or I guess it's all interconnected, huh? You probably can't become like master of the lodge if you're just a zero degree dude. 
Well, I, I guess it's uh, important to sort of go through some uh, technicalities at this point. So you have the OTO, uh-huh. um, which is the fraternal organization uh-huh. uh, uh, connected to the new religious movement of Thelema, uh-huh. founded by Aleister Crowley. Yeah. And then there's the ecclesiastical branch. Crowley, right? <laughs> Crowley, like yeah. holy. Yeah. It's because a lot of people mispronounce it as Crowley. Oh, yeah. you. It rhymes with holy. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, to, the, the people who pronounce it as Crowley aren't admitted. They, they kick them out. It's they, on the... It's on the um, they have no idea what they're talking about. It's on the petition. You're like, how do you pronounce Crowley? And there's, like, checkboxes. We just excommunicate yeah. those people right yeah, away. Just, <laughs> I'm, 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 no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, and then... And then, so, that was uh, six years ago. Ha- was the was the Orlando Lodge anything like the Portland Lodge? Were they similar? Were they? Um, just checking in. Yeah, I don't think. Make sure I'm available to you. That's all. No, uh, yeah, no, we're good. good. Yeah, yeah, I think we're, we're good. good for now. Thank you. Uh, what was my question? Oh yeah, was the Orlando Lodge like the Portland Lodge? Was it a lodge or was it a, a, uh, a different? <laughs> um, it well, it. <clears throat> I started in what's called a camp. A camp. A camp is a uh, the smallest organized body. How, uh, how, how small is that? Um, it's generally depending on how often the Gnostic Mass is performed, whether there's a, a an actual um, constant uh, Wait, so dedicated space. So that means the so the OTO and the EGC are super closely connected, then. Like yes. So so you're saying that the the classification of the OTO body is dependent on how active their EGC body is. Yes. Can you be a member of the OTO and not a member of the EGC? You can be. That but do people look at you funny? Uh. Over time, yes. <laughs> Over time, I think. I think. Uh, no, because the two do go hand. I, th- I think. I think yeah. uh, there's there's there tends to be a little bit of confusion for entering members at first, as uh-huh. far as it, because we get a lot of seekers in the OTO. Yeah. So you know, people are coming around wondering what Thelema is, what this Crowley guy is, what, mm-hmm. um, you know, what the OTO is about, whether they're going to be able to learn magic from that. Uh-huh. Uh, the EGC, the Ecclesiastica Catholica, is the ecclesiastical branch right. of the OTO. So it operates under the auspices of the OTO. Okay. So, you know, oh. you, you get... Oh. you get. Uh, so it's like the fraternal order controls a church... Yes, yes. So I wanted to, I wanted to read Liberos, just to give give an idea of what of what what it's about. If people okay. don't know, because this is kind of like a core tenant, okay, the mission statement mm-hmm. of the OTO. It's kind of the political, uh, the political statement. So yeah, to speak. and it's really powerful, especially considering that this was written this in a time man when man has the right to do what he will and think you, what he will and eat what he will. Yeah. So like. He sent it out privately to his uh, students in 1941 when people were being killed by the millions. Yeah, and it was a terrible time in the history of the human race. Yeah, absolutely. And it was a time when you couldn't be free. So reading it now may not have as much of an impact 
Although it should, as it did then. But. You should um, you should read it and record it independently, and we'll use it as a as a sound thing during okay. the break. Mm. Yeah, that we can way, do that. That way, you can be all like Joey's theatrical. Big voice. Yeah, theatrical. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I that's, agree. That's more exciting. Let's do it. Okay. All right. But um, I mean, the OTO. While that's interesting, I think that there's enough people who know about it that they could probably listen to another podcast about it. And mm-hmm. get a really good idea of how it works. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of interested. One of the things that I've that I'm super fascinated by, mostly because I'm super jealous, is your your experience at the University of Amsterdam. Like, yeah, what yeah, was that's that amazing. like? What did you do? Like, what 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 were your days like? Were all of your classes just filled with weird esoteric history? Was it? Were there actual hermeticists there? Well, you know, um, one professor walked in with some, uh, you know mostly shaman garbs all day you know yeah. and then another one was like a, a merlin top you know, are like you the serious Conagonical wow. <laughs> <Damn it. laughs> they were not like i just that. i just want to see voucher with one Aww. of those you know on like a merlin you know like <laughs> yeah it wasn't like that at all <laughs> it wasn't like that at all <laughs> Super it was like proper. you know it was a normal uh uh school setting um yeah. you know kind of like what you'd expect out of a master's degree most master's degrees are a little bit more intimate uh-huh. uh you, you come into a, a smaller classroom you sit around some tables uh and you discuss readings uh-huh. uh you bounce ideas off of one another and um what are some publications that have come out of out of that Oh man! Out of uh, University of Amsterdam, in, yeah, maybe in like the particular? top three. Well, uh, uh, isn't uh, was uh, Vers Lewis there? Vers Lewis was there uh, for. Uh, was he there? No, he's out of uh, he's out of University of Michigan. He does the Esoterica. Um, right, right. Uh, he's worked with some of the scholars there. I don't okay. think he. I don't think he was. There so, though, but I could be wrong, you know. Just uh, so then, Hanukkah is probably the biggest one. Uh, he's the chair of the of uh, the uh-huh. history of uh, Hermetic philosophy and related currents. Um, he's also the former chair, if I'm not mistaken, of uh, the European uh, the Esoteric European Society for the uh, for the study of Western esotericism. Okay, hold on one second. Do we need to? Uh, do I need to speak louder? You're, you're mumbly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Talk now. I think that happens to us in initiation. Can, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to know. Okay, I can hear myself pretty well. You, you talk. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yeah, you're way better now. Yeah. All now, right. Joey, you talk. I'm a mumbler. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is a lot better. Joey's expert. Because I'm here. a tumbler. <laughs> Born under punches. Okay, that's good. <laughs> I think that should be the intro. <laughs> that should be the intro. Um, yeah. Okay. So. So some of the uh, publications that have come out of that, a lot of that stuff. I mean, uh, Hanukkah has got to be one of the most prolific people on esotericism at this point. Uh-huh. Uh And. And uh, he was one of my uh, professors. What you guys? Um, uh, what, like, what's, what were some of the classes that he taught? What, what are? Now I have to think about it for a moment. But uh, one was one was called uh, 
Dis Disenchantment and Cosmotheism. That was my first class with uh, Valter. What does that mean? Well, he, he went into a lot of uh, the disenchantment discourse that was uh, propagated by uh, Max Weber, uh -huh. um, as well as what the idea of cosmotheism versus monotheism is. So can you tell and the, us what and the, that means? And, and the, distinction, the distinction between uh, monotheistic religion uh -huh. and cosmotheism of esoteric discourse uh -huh. and sort of how that plays with within the paradigm of enchantment the mean, eventual disenchantment with the modern period uh -huh. and then there's been some idea of like an idea of re-enchantment so in the 20th century is cosmotheism like uh, like pantheism is there what's the difference between cosmotheism and pantheism if my memory serves me correctly, uh -huh. the idea of monotheism, for instance, is the idea that the divine... It's kind of the, in the sense of the, uh, the exoteric uh -huh. conception of God created the world in the sort of Genesis idea. Or so a lot of the exoteric, so you know, doctrines. So are you saying sort of that monotheism is is more exoteric? Or... I think it creates that distinction in a lot of ways, yeah. I'm asking you questions that are making you think back too far into your past. Are you... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's not traumatizing yet. It's not, okay. <laughs> so, uh, so like with that school... How did, how did that school come about? Is it, is it an old organization? Is it... Well, that, that has its own history in and of itself. Um, I would say some of the earliest academic uh, studies of this in the 20th century, um, because when you, get, when you go earlier than that, it, it's really a different kind of thing. You got... Uh, turns into more of like a pseudo-history sort of thing then, doesn't it? Well, there's, um, you know, you have, uh, you know, like the Golden Bough is a yeah. classicist sort Classic. of, you know, late yeah. 19th century literature. So does it You know, so it, it, it kind of comes from that, but um, it's really better to look at the history of the academic study of Western esotericism from... Uh, for instance, like Mircea Eliade, um, maybe some Joseph Campbell in there, yeah. um, Henry Corbin, um, the, um, you know, Gershom Sholem was like oh, one yeah. of the earliest, uh, academic studies oh, of, 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 of Kabbalah. That, yeah, like his, uh, his work in Kabbalah is incredible. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. So... These are these are some of the early pioneers. Yeah. Um, you have Francis Yates, you know, mm -hmm. in the '60s and '70s on, um, you know, Giordano Bruno and the Hermetic tradition. Yeah. Uh, so this is kind of some of the the foundation of the study of Western esotericism. Uh -huh. It. And then, you get kind of a second wave. Yeah. Uh, for instance, with 
uh, Antoine Favre. Oh yeah, was he at your was he at university? No, he's at the University of Sorbonne okay. in France. Uh, but he was one of the earlier pioneers as well. I believe, I believe it's pronounced University of Sorbonne. <laughs> uh, so did your did your uh, study at the University of Amsterdam did it uh, did it inform your your esoteric work your occult work? Well, my experience with it was that you had to if you were a practitioner you had to wear different hats really. So you got to wear the wizard hat. Got to wear the wizard hat. They call it a dunce cap. Uh, I also I also wore like a nice. Um, you know, what do you call those ones with the feathers in it? You oh, know? like a Robin Hood sort of hat? <laughs> <laughs> you have to put your academic hat on. Yeah. <laughs> put the practice aside for a uh, while. Well, there was, yeah, there was there was some of that. There was some distinction with that. But um, did you, but I mean, did you walk away from there with knowledge that you considered sort of esoteric or occult in a way that you were, did it, did it like encourage you to broaden your path or did it? make your path sort of change or were you all of a sudden like oh geez fairies are bullshit i'm gonna spend more time making mars amulets and yeah like what 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 did you what how did it affect you did it did it affect you it affected me greatly i mean like every you know even my bachelor's degree in philosophy mm-hmm. was like a rite of initiation in a way you oh, know. yeah, for sure. I, I mean, any any time you learn and you challenge your ideas and and your your uh, your sense of purpose in the world and mm-hmm. what you think about certain ideas, yeah, uh, especially when it comes to the arts and humanities, it's, uh-huh. uh, it's like an initiation of some kind. So, I would say that. In lots of ways, at, at, at the beginning, it was kind of a crisis of faith in a really? way. Yeah. Wait, like, like, so you went in there a thelemite. Yeah, absolutely. And so your crisis of faith was sort of like, oh, geez, is this thelema stuff worth it, or is this thelema stuff real, or, or is the fact that I'm, that I'm. In some ways, or like you know, for instance, were the Rosicrucians even? Well, no, yeah. the Rosicrucians were not real. We know that already. <laughs> yeah. All of those traditions are pulled from everything else. It's all bullshit. Yeah. It's just an amalgamation of but, but I mean, the magic stuff. Can, yeah, but I mean... Well, if we're going to be historians about this stuff... Yeah, for sure. We know that things emerge throughout history, and they're just drawn from different sources, like you say, Joey. Yeah. And whether we're just... Uh, you know, just kind of piling things on over and over. Uh-huh. You know, I had I had one um, uh, one interesting um, colleague who you've met. Uh, um, oh, what's his face? The glasses. Um, what's his name? Jake. Jake. Yes. Yeah. Jake, Jake was cool. Yeah. So his thesis was on uh, how Blavatsky just basically plagiarized oh, she earlier was, authors. She was a charlatan. You know? She was a complete charlatan. Well, yeah. whether she was a charlatan or not, uh, Blavatsky... She influenced like, a great deal of people. Not only that, but she, she reintroduced uh, Buddhism to India. All right, let, let's, let's take a, a moment now to, to stop talking about super weird stuff and talk about beer. <laughs> we are at the bird plus bear, or perhaps bird and bear, or perhaps... 
And I am staring at a beautiful freaking Lamborghini bike oh, from Portland. Is that your How bike? How do you drink beer with your ears off? <laughs> when I take them off, it bleeds. <laughs> Life's a lot different than when I was 28 years old. It is, it is. <laughs> it's a lot different than when I was 28 years old. Jeez. <laughs> uh, I, like, I like my beer a lot. It's, uh, it's, un, it's an unfiltered IPA, which I've heard is... It's kind of a new, um, cool thing in in uh, in Portland brewing right now. Like they make these sort of like cloudy, unfiltered IPAs with like a citrusy injection thing. Uh, this is pretty. This it's pretty damn tasty. Portland loves their IPAs, man. Oh yeah, I'm a I Pilsner love, person, I man. That's what I'm drinking. <laughs> I'm drinking Actually, an oatmeal, an oatmeal Pilsner of I some kind. Is that what it. we're doing? Yeah, it's an oatmeal yeah. Pilsner, and g- generally I hate these. You do? But I like that. Maybe it's also because I'm getting bored of yeah. IPAs. Well, we're sitting here off of 28th and Holgate. Yeah. This is uh, one of my first landings in Portland. Yeah. Oh, that's a great Pilsner. That's got a nice hop. It's it super is. hoppy. Very hoppy. It's delicious. No, you can't have it, Joey. Just one, one taste. Damn it. <laughs> Thanks. That's, that smells like a... Yeah, never mind. <laughs> oh, it smells like a... Like an orange tree is making out with a hot plant, kind of. Wait, what were you gonna say? I was, I was. Well, hold on. There's a lady present. No. <laughs> how you guys doing? Good. How are you? Awesome. Good. Are you trying the blood orange IPA? Yes. How is it? It's actually I like delicious. It a lot. I was really surprised. I expected it to be terrible, and it wasn't. And I was like, huh. <laughs> I expected it to be terrible too. That's why I didn't order it. But yeah. I just t- tasted his, and it's awesome. Yeah. Do you remember which brewery it's from? It's Ghost Runner. They're up in Vancouver. Oh, that's an even Now brewery. i got to try yeah. it. Let me try this. <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds like it should be awful, and it's just not. It's well, not it looks awful. like it should be awful, but It also not. looks like it should be awful. It's just cloudy. What's that? Thank well, you. the first time I poured one, like when we thing. first tapped the keg, I was like, did I forget how to pour a beer all of a sudden? Like, this looks like it's all head. And I was like, oh, no, that's just the color <laughs> of the beer. Cool. It's really flavorful, though. Yeah. yeah. It's good. Yeah. But it's not like overly sweet, fruity, gross either. Yeah. No. Know. It's they got a, a really job. great scent. Yeah. It's perfect. So you throw that in the recording. So Hexa has that season recording. So she just informed the podcast. So basically, basically, it smells like a musky vagina. Musky vagina. Which, I, which lo- I love the smell. I love it. It's my favorite beer now. Now that's also staying in the podcast. Where the hell were we? By the way, uh, we were taking. We were talking about the beer. So, so this is all in theme. We we're totally yeah, okay. talking about the beer. No, that's getting cut out. By the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the full, the full Monty. Here. Yeah, it is. Unless we start, unless you like accidentally reveal secrets where you're like, oh my god, if somebody hears that, then uh, yeah, then uh, I know the other night when we lo- never mind. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to have to cut never anything mind. else never out. Mind. <laughs> hey, let me see that handshake again. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was initiating the OTO, this is what happened to me. I couldn't and walk was, straight for days. And it was the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> um, can it's you, funny uh, that you guys have the goat idea, too. You know, yeah. you have the goat joke as well. I don't want to I don't want to <laughs> belittle the OTO at all while you're on the podcast with us, but, uh, but I mean, you know you guys came from Freebase3 originally. I am. Um, um, and oh, yeah. the goat the goat thing is a really old joke. Uh, and I don't even think it came from Freemasonry. No, it didn't. 
I think that they're. I'd love to see some historical records from like maybe the 19th century of this kind of thing. Uh, they weren't, re- they, but uh, that's, uh, there were, they used to have like these fraternal supply catalogs that would sell tons of weird ass special effects and like props for initiations, including like things that would electrocute your candidate and all this sort of stuff. And, oh, and one of the big ones was like uh, goats, goats that you'd make your candidate ride. Uh, like mechanical goats, you know, like a mechanical bull, but it's a goat. I, thanks, <laughs> not, 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 thanks, forefathers. Previous thanks, nineteenth century, nineteenth <laughs> century marketer bastards. Yeah, Freemasonry. Um, but uh, I've heard that uh, the goat thing might have started as an acronym of God of all things, perhaps. No. Yeah. Maybe God that's a of all things. God huh? of all things. Well, I mean, in, in Freemason, we talk about the Man, great that's architect great. of the universe or the yeah. supreme author of the universe. We have like this really, we have generic terms for deity that, you know, that, you know, somebody was talking about it in Lodge and like some, you know, agricultural farmer guy was like, I got to go. In other words, goat. Goat. That's going to be what we call that. My family were real fond of goats. <laughs> Which is great. We used to go up to the edge of the hill. <laughs> no, like really. So like, there, there is a, there is a negative connotation. There is a negative connotation with, uh, you know, like farmer communities and Freemasonry, with, with like the the rural Freemason thing. Yeah, and, and compared to like the the, uh, you know, what we're doing, the esoteric stuff and all that. But those those agricultural communities, that's what drove Freemasonry because we were. Large, in part, largely a, an agricultural oh, yeah. nation. We were, yeah. I mean, up until pretty recently. And, and actually, I was brought into it by by one of those old timers who, had, you know, their lodge is totally not into the esoteric stuff. It's all about being a social club, and the wives are involved in rainbow that stuff. All, but oh yeah, there's just different flavors to every. Okay, but hold on a second. Let's uh, remember our guest here isn't a Mason, and he probably doesn't care all that much about no, but that's farmer fine. Masons. That's fine. We're talking about kinds how do you of feel subjects? about farmers? <laughs> but you're you're well. I uh, I've I've been to farms. <laughs> <laughs> but you're well aware of it. <laughs> deep thoughts. Keep ready. <laughs> Especially within the OTO of different different types of lodges spread throughout the country. Yeah. Oh, know. it's yeah, it's very different. Yeah. Something it, I like, something I realized with Thelemites is like they're all fucking different, man. Oh, completely. They're yeah. all they're all different. I mean, you guys can you know, fix that by introducing like the idea of blasphemy and by like burning people at the stake when they disagree with whoever. <laughs> well, that happened. That happens on social media, oh. you know, at a figurative the, level. The you figurative know, burning. yeah. 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 Um, can you talk at all about the uh, about the magical order that you're part of? Is that is that secret? Super secret? Which magical order? You know the <laughs> one, the, the AA. Oh, <laughs> the order that hath no name among men. Right, right. Uh, I like to think of it as the uh, anonymous order. Yeah, anonymous order. Oh, it, you know, it's or the Ador. It's not the Astromargentum. It's not. Or the, the Astronargon. Or the. Uh, or the. Uh, or the. Ad, 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 <laughs> the anonymous Ador. Oh yeah, it. You know, it's. It's a, astrology is anonymous. It's a really cool thing, you know. You you uh, you know you. 
you sign these oaths, you sign this task. Wait, and you like, sign yeah. them? Yeah, you. you well, have to, of course. You don't have to like recite them. You have to recite them as well. But they're written down. They're written down. Like in plain You old write them English. down. Like you yeah. write them down. You recite it's them. Magic. It's not and done from memory. Oh well, you, there's a lot of memory yeah. involved. Okay. There's a lot of memory, but. I was about to like lose respect, total respect. For oh that. no, what? there's no memory? That's tons not... of memory work. There's, there's tons no of all kinds of other stuff. Not only memory work, but it's an incredible time commitment. Oh, it is. It's uh, it's a, it's a, it's a testing order. Yeah. Over everything else, uh, because it doesn't have you're, to do with you're, the social. You're 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 tested on a certain curriculum of uh-huh. things to do. Yeah. Um, you sit in a position for yoga for a, a while you know uh-huh. they say okay sit here and then you uh, see if you pass you know they'll give you a symbol and say okay scry into this and tell us what you think wait and and do you have to are they waiting for you to scry something specific yeah Really? And Absolutely. If you don't? No, it's a testing order. Yeah. If you don't, then you fail. You fail. Seriously. So that's how do they of, know that they're right? That's part of the test. <laughs> because it's science. It's not <laughs> science. It's science, Eric. I know you're. A, I know you're a scientist, but this is there a way? Is there a way that you could give us an example uh, scrying symbol? Maybe not one that would reveal any secrets, but could you could you draw one or describe one so that we could see? Can you create a symbol that would create no, a specific scrying vision? It's about traveling the scape of spirit land. Yeah, and, I, and, it's a spirit and vision. Ma- and mapping, and mapping that out so that other people who have already All right, been so there. Are you giving, are you, you're just going to give them escapes, Joey? I want to... No, I'm giving you the truth. I'll, okay. give, you, I'll okay. give you an example of okay. what, what this is about. So, you have a, a specific curriculum. Mm-hmm. The curriculum is based on various... Uh, ways in which you break down the the self, uh-huh. so to speak. Okay. Okay. Some of it is astral vision or spirit vision. Uh-huh. Some of it is yoga. Uh-huh. Some of it is uh, gamatria and the Kabbalah, mm-hmm. and other points are. Uh, bhakti yoga mm-hmm. and devotional aspects. Okay. So you go through these uh, particular um, Just do it. Say it. Say it. Spit <laughs> it out. <laughs> particular trials. Self trials. Ordeals. So you go through ordeals. Yes. But ordeals or like mm-hmm. trials, tribulations, uh, you know, certain tests of character, uh-huh. so to speak. So when you do tests of character, are they based on like uh, cardinal virtues, or are they based on a specific set of like ethics or something of that nature? Or when you say tests of character, is it like what is a test? What would it? What would a test of character entail? It's individual and personal. Oh, so it's very personalized. Yeah, no one's, like, sitting there judging you. Um, if it's a test of character, isn't it by its very nature a judgment? Of yourself. 
So you're testing yourself sometimes? No, it's it's not like that. Oh. You're doing the practices, and the universe unfolds and changes shit. And it, the course of... The trajectory of your spirit changes uh-huh. course, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. That's the way I understand it. Okay. That's the way I've experienced it. I don't know if it's the same for you. It's different for everybody. Right. So a lot of the curriculum of the AA mm-hmm. is steeped in the practices of the Golden Dawn, and a lot of the okay. Rosicrucian. I was sort of curious about that. And so, does it use a lot of the like Golden Dawn magical ritual too? Then is there a some lot of, of it? Yeah. Okay. Some of it. Uh, for instance, the banishing rituals. You know, uh, looking at the the columns of the Kabbalah. Mm-hmm. And studying those, um, but there's a lot more to it than that. It's kind of an internal, initiatory sort of experience that uh-huh. you have uh, with the whole. Um, and you might be able to understand me when I say this, but like you know, the raising down of the old and the building of the temple, so that right, so that, that God can indwell. That makes sense. It's yeah. It's sort of a, in a, in a, in a, on an alchemical sense, it's the Negretto aspect uh-huh. of uh, breaking down. But I think, I think that it, we need to back up and kind of uh, talk a little bit more about like what the AA kind of like is. I think that, that's a good idea. I think that's a good idea. I, I have a couple of questions about that. So first of all, when you... Um, so, are all uh, are all members of the AA or or do you call yourselves members? Are they called members? Are you practitioners, devotees, uh, um, initiates, initiates of the a- AA? Aspirants. Asp- oh, that's a good one. That's aspirants. A one. Yeah. Are all aspirants of the AA members of, of the OTO in some form, or did they have they all started out in the OTO in some form? Um, not necessarily. They're two completely different orders. So it's not like so you can be you can you can be a, uh, an aspirant of the AA uh-huh. and be not a member of the OTO. You can be a member of the OTO and never formally become an aspirant of the AA. And are all aspirants of the AA um, uh, thelemites? Is it a thelema-based system? Yes. So well, in the beginning. In the beginning, okay. In the beginning, I okay. would say so. Um, here's the here's the concept or philosophy mm-hmm. behind this is that uh, the idea in Crowley's day is that and Crowley was a member of the Golden Dawn uh-huh. as we know yeah so the idea is that there has been throughout the ages certain um, people Uh that have transmitted gnosis to humanity Uh whether it was Buddha or Jesus Christ Uh or Lao Tse or Or Siddhartha or or Gurdjieff funny enough Gurdjieff isn't part of the Gnostic light Seamless, but <laughs> the whole the po- whole point of it is, is like 
there's a number of people throughout our history mm-hmm. in Western culture and Eastern culture who have transmitted a sort of like knowledge gnosis so to speak yeah like, to us so they transmit gnosis and the, so the AA was sort of started on the basis of but so the AA, the AA was it started by Crowley he the claimed, idea is not necessarily okay so it may have predated him or he may have received it so there's a line of uh, initiates that have transmitted gnosis uh-huh. throughout humanity. Yeah. And um, do you have goals? Yeah. So, um, yeah. so the idea is there's been a sort of uh, trajectory uh-huh. of knowledge transmitted throughout writings throughout transmission whether it's Rosicrucian or occultist currents uh, certain Gnostic currents you know in the sense of Ecclesia Gnostica Catholica Mm -hmm. what Crowley tried to do with the AA is it was formulated under the name of the AA but it was a reconstitution along Golden Dawn Rosicrucian lines uh-huh. from the 19th century. Also, this okay. has nothing to do with Alcoholics Anonymous, although it probably should. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, yes. <laughs> I feel like this explanation is taking a long time to get around to. Like, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous has a very esoteric symbol, but that's not Crowley's <laughs> AA. It's a different thing. <laughs> Holy crap, we've already been recording for 43 minutes. Is that true? How could that be possible? <laughs> yeah, but there's We're a, lot have of a long one. We're going to have a long one. <laughs> uh, but I think it's time. I'm going to take. We should take like an official break. A pee break. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Libraz. The law of the strong. This is our law. And the joy of the world. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Thou hast no right but to do thy will. Do that, and no other shall say nay. Every man and every woman is a star. There is no god but man. Man has the right to live by his own law, to live in the way that he wills to do, to work as he will, to play as he will, to rest as he will, to die when and how he will. Man has the right to eat what he will, to drink what he will, to dwell where he will, to move as he will on the face of the earth. Man has the right to think what he will, to speak what he will, to write what he will, to draw, paint, carve, etch, mold, build as he will, to dress as he will. Man has the right to love as he will. Take your fill and will of love as ye will, when, where, and with whom ye will. Man has the right to kill those who would thwart these rights. The slaves shall serve. Love is the law. Love under will. And we're back! Uh, so, the reading of Libera's mm-hmm. that we just did. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, in the break. On a really nice microphone. What's your take on that? Because <laughs> for me, it's free. 
Yeah. Uh, just just as the, the statement of every man and every woman is a star. Mm-hmm. Wait, is Libras might not be the one that I remember. That's not the one that's like it, where it ends with like every man has the right to kill anybody who gets in their way. Yeah. Oh, is that the one? That's okay. it. Yeah. I like that one a lot too. The the killing thing at the end always is a little jarring to me, but um, but it kind of plays into my understanding of what like Curly was talking about with uh, with true will or with, like what will actually is, um, where if you're following your true will, you there would know be no clashing. There's no clashing, right? right. Like true will isn't. Um, yeah. To me, it, it always feel it, it kind of feels like so Curly didn't. Curly didn't necessarily believe in predestination, but he did believe in something like a pre, like a pre-purposation. Like you had a purpose. Everything has a purpose, right? Our purpose is to reunite all the shattered shards of the universe and 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 um, and ascend back into the divine oneness of deity or whatever. Probably I, I think I think it's in the sense that there's uh, a tendency mm-hmm. towards each particularity of the universe. Yeah. And that's what you should really try to find and harness. You know? Now, if everything in the universe follows its true will correctly. What do you think that it'd look like? Like, would we all get like puppies and free ice cream all the time? <laughs> <laughs> would there be like, unlimited be, lap dances? There'd be unicorns <laughs> farting and it'd be like rainbows, you know? It, it would, it would, it would look I mean, like, I had already peed a rainbow. Wait, is that what you said? <laughs> it would look like the best part of Portland everywhere. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like when we were at the Whale Amet, you know, we were yeah. there, like drinking a beer and there was uh, sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just yeah. enjoying it. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's go back in time, but not like curly back in time. Let's go back to the University of Amsterdam. I want okay. to hear more about your experience as a student there, not just like what your teachers were, but like what were the students? Who were they? Were they from all over the world? Were they all Dutch? Did you have to gargle a lot? <laughs> there were <laughs> there were a lot of Dutch, you know. There were a lot of uh, there were a lot of there were several Americans that uh-huh. I I did um, this the program with. I mean, Jake was there. Jake was there, yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, where? And and there were uh, some people from the UK. Uh huh. There were some people from uh, South America. Uh huh. Um, there was uh, one girl that I went through the whole program with from Argentina. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it was pretty international, you know, um, was, d- was the idea. Do you have an idea of, like, what what drove them there? Like, what drives a student or a person? <laughs> what drives people to esotericism? Well, you know, I mean, it's pretty but, particular. But do you feel like, I mean, but you, but it was, a, it was more of a history thing, though, wasn't it? It was more like philosophy and history of the stuff, like... I don't Were think I don't think people come there uh, necessarily expecting that. Were the students practitioners? Some of them were. Did you guys get together and do weird ass rituals in the middle of the night? No. Never. No. Not even once. Maybe some of them did. I didn't. You didn't. No, I didn't. Were you the Were you the outcast? I was the outcast, Thelemite. 
Oh, uh, uh, I was the Crowley you, guy. You were, you were the rebel. <laughs> I was the Crowley the guy. Rebel Dottie. Unloaded. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that it works. So there, there was no like secret initiatory group of that school. You didn't have to get like. It wasn't really a practitioner sort of place. It was, um, it was very. It's just very academic. That's like yeah. the best way I can like describe it. You know. Um, there were a lot of works, and there's actually a lot of works that uh, you wouldn't expect there to be. Works? Just a lot of uh, uh, research. Yeah. On specific things. Like what sort of specific things? Um, well, for instance, we mentioned Max Weber earlier. Uh-huh. And one of the PhDs from that program uh, they offered a PhD program as well uh-huh. there's only two available at a time uh-huh. and one of them uh, worked with uh, some Weberian ideas of disenchantment uh-huh. and how that worked within the paradigm of the 20th century yeah I think you mentioned that earlier right the disenchantment yeah. thing yeah yeah um, he works in Norway now. Is uh, a Norwegian. He was a Norwegian student. He worked uh, in um, uh, California for a while uh-huh. as a postdoc. Brilliant student. That's gonna sound great on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that that kid was waiting to get over to the soccer field earlier. I saw him. Yeah. Um, he's like, <laughs> he's on a dirt bike. Just going to wait for them to start well, recording yeah. and then. Uh, one of the PhD students now is uh, someone that I, I worked with as a master's student, and he works with, he works in, um, he works with Kabbalah, Luriana Kabbalah. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, Thank you, sir. Yeah, man, you betcha. I don't know for if sure. I told you this, but I've been reading. Oh, I did. I sent you a, a picture of. Um, uh, uh, Tomer Devera. I've been reading uh, Cordovero again, mm-hmm. uh, who was the precursor of Isaac Luria. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, this is a great story. This is a great Kabbalah legend. I don't know if anybody knows if it's really true or if everybody sort of decided, like, oh yeah, that's just a story. So, Cordovero was uh, like the premier Kabbalist of, um, I believe, Jerusalem or somewhere in Israel, and um, and kind of one of the like dads of Kabbalah of modern Kabbalah mm-hmm. uh, from what I've read I believe he was the first one to mention the Klippo hmm. and um, he died in 1570 and apparently the day he died like during his funeral procession which was probably yeah, I guess a couple days after he died uh, but during his funeral procession uh, Isaac Luria showed up in town out of nowhere and saw a vision of a column of fire following uh, Cordovero's uh uh, like funeral procession corpse going down the street huh. and when he revealed this to people they're like oh you're the next teacher you're the next one and they adopted Luria as like their uh, Kabbalistic teacher and and Luria revealed all of the stuff like he gave all these teachings like I mean modern Kabbalah would be nothing without Isaac Luria yeah. and yet all of his stuff came out of him over the course of like two years because he died in like 1572 hmm. which is pretty fascinating mm-hmm that was just, that was a sidetrack. I totally took us away from Amsterdam and 
all that kind of stuff. But no, I mean it. it you know, it's not my specialty. Uh huh. I mean, did you take any classes? Was there like, did they have like a chicken Kabbalah for dummies, or well, did they have? There, there was, there was some stuff. Uh, Moshe Adele is one of the uh, more respected scholars of Lurianic uh, uh-huh. Kabbalah, and there was some stuff on that. Static Kabbalah, and so to speak. Static. Ecstatic Kabbalah. Oh, ecstatic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've heard that like Kabbalah is split up into different um, historical groups and or historical eras, and one of them is sort of the ecstatic era. Right. Uh, yeah, post Lurie. Yeah, post Lurie out there. Yeah. What were some texts that you guys studied? Is, is there anything cool that is generally available? Depends on what you're looking for. I mean, there was. Oh, g- drop us a. Was there? Throw us a Give me a time period. You know. <laughs> uh, was there stuff that wasn't available? Yeah. Like, did you guys have access to anything exclusive that nobody else would get? Um, there's a lot of stuff that I think that you wouldn't be able to get unless you, like, were involved in academic study of esotericism. But you're not going to give us any titles that we can, like, hunt down feverishly on but eBay? But that's a good point, like, because this was one of the first schools to be involved in academ- academic esoteric yeah. studies. Other than the, other than, um, the, uh, program at Exeter in the U.K., I guess I'm not familiar Which, with Well, Exeter is, a, is also a master's program. Um, but it's been kind of up in the air right now because uh, Nicholas Goodrich-Clark, who unfortunately passed um, several years ago, headed that. So it, the program's kind of been in limbo. In, in limbo, limbo, in yeah. limbo stage. Yeah. Um, but this is all like very general stuff, you know. It's like the idea with academia is you you focus on a specific period or a figure or whatever yeah, so it you is. Really drill down. Yeah, and there's depending on what period you're looking for. I mean, there's a lot of work on stuff. You yeah. know, there's stuff on Rosicrucianism. There's stuff on like the late modern period. You know, two other scholars that I worked with there. There were there were three main professors there. Uh-huh. Um, other than other than Honograph, who like was the wizard, you know, who just kind of <laughs> you know he, he just he, you know if you want if you want hermet- hermetism and like antiquity, he, yeah. he, he had something. If there was something in contemporary period, he had something. If there yeah. was something in Renaissance, he had something of Chino or whatever Man, it was. What do you think is you know? What do you think his free time is like? He probably <laughs> just reads. He only reads, huh? I don't know. I expect that he's like probably like floating on a cloud somewhere most of the time. You know, like is he dead? Like literally? No, no. Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully we've got a few years so left of this guy. Who <laughs> would have heard about this? <laughs> no, um, but I, you know, I imagine like you know a little yeah. halo around his head. You know. Yeah, yeah. So you know what? That, that actually brings up an interesting point that that I hadn't thought about for this podcast, but. So there's there's a cultural figure right now that's out there, and this guy is super famous for just being himself. Dan Blazarian. Dan Bla what what? Blazarian. 
So he's halfway famous. I've never heard of him. No. <laughs> he gets like what he gets 140 million impressions on Instagram alone. Oh yeah, I have heard of this guy, but why what what he's he's a douche. No, no. <laughs> I've seen his pictures. You've seen the pictures, but you don't know the man. But do you know him? I do. You do like how closely? Not closely. So <laughs> But I know the intention. What's the intention? He's doing his own thing. Yeah? Like, he doesn't give a shit. It started out... So, here's a guy who went to the military, went through BUDS training. Uh-huh. BUDS? SEAL training. Uh-huh. On two broken legs. What do you mean? He had two broken legs. So, like, intense pain. Anyway, like... That regardless. Okay. He gets out of Bud's training, does his four years in, in college on the, on the uh, whatever, the GI Bill. Uh-huh. Decides to go do some gambling because his cousin or whoever it was taught him how to gamble. Uh-huh. Do some play poker. Oh, oh, hold on. Hold on. There's, there's, there's a storm coming. Short time thereafter. You can tell. He ends up, he ends up winning a poker hand. 50, not just a poker hand, but several poker hands with a billionaire. Uh-huh. $50 million. Okay. Are his legs still broken? Dad. Oh, wait, no, no, he played poker with broken fingers. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> anyway, he comes in all this money because he's, he's playing a stressful game of poker, which uh-huh. is, it's a game of risk, all that stuff. Yeah. And he's like, all right, this is it. Jets he owns, he's got, he drives the nicest cars, he's got, you know, now what, hordes of women, but... But how does this tie back into what we were talking about? Because he's doing his will. He, he sees a trajectory for his life, uh-huh. and what he wants to accomplish here, as far as in this realm. Uh-huh. I want to, I mean, I was in the same camp a lot, like you guys are right now, right? This guy's a wow. It's amazing. He's super rich. What a douchebag. Uh huh. But when you really dig into him as a person, his idea and 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 his philosophy of life is: I just want to experience every fucking drop of life. But do you think that that experience happens uh, while he's experiencing this? He's not interfering with anybody else's will. Do you think that? I mean, like. If you have that sort of experience, if you if you have this sort of experience that's that's like materially excessive in that way, I don't know how you would do that and not interfere with the will of others. I don't know how you could do that in the physical realm and not. And I think that that's kind of key. But and in fact, this is a sort of thing that that Max Weber talks about a little bit. Like he's sort of like uh, you know in uh, in that what was the name of the book? Uh, Protestant ethic and the capitalist mm-hmm. um, thingamajig. 
mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that's a re- that's almost close to the title. I'll okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll fix that in post, like Catman likes to say. <laughs> um, the, pro- uh, the, the, pro- the Protestant ethic, you know. the Protestant ethic and capitalism, or something. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, um, one of the things he talks about is that we created this culture where that kind of aspiration, where your aspiration is to like. Oh, I'm gonna do everything I want. I'm gonna fuck whoever I want. I'm gonna have all the material goods I want. Like, like that's something that we admire now. It's something that is sort of, but it's what, what it really is. Is it's a, it's an expression of avarice, um, which I don't know is something that is is awesome. Uh, I guess I'm making a, I'm making a, as I say it, I, I realize I'm making a really big uh, moral so, judgment on him that, that of I don't, course, that of is course. super comfortable. But you know what he reminds me of? The uh, the character from Stranger in a Strange Land, Jubal Hershaw. Oh, yes. Like that, that's, that is who he is. Like he has created his life to be that guy. Everything is delicious. Yeah, that's, that's those crackers are good. Great. Good. Checking in. All right. Go. So, like, he's he's surrounded by beautiful women. He brings these people into his gravity because he's created such a heavy gravity of his self. I always thought that Jubal Hershaw was sort of based on L. Ron Hubbard. Isn't uh, Jubal Hershaw based on L. Ron Hubbard? I don't know. I don't know, but it feels like it a little bit, doesn't it? Does anybody know this? <laughs> maybe, maybe a little bit, but I don't know. I don't know. Because people who are, so for instance, the women uh-huh. who are looking for specific contracts, gigs, this and that, they surround this guy, uh-huh. and and they're getting offers that they would never get before. And some of them are pretty impressive people. Like, what is it? The the perfect witnesses or the the sworn witness? Is that what they call it? The one of the one of the one of uh, Jubal Hershaw's retinue is. is yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. All right, but anyhow, we're getting way off track. Not really, all right, because this is applicable. It's applicable applicable to today. But do you think it's applicable to Keith's time at the University of Amsterdam? No, but that I mean, that's a side <laughs> note. I mean, I know that all these beautiful women surrounding <laughs> Keith have been super annoying, and it's going to be really hard to filter them out of the podcast at the end. But um, but I but think it, I can do it. But in the I'm going to just replace them with car noises. But in the end, (laughs) you've got Aleister Crowley who influenced these generations, and you've got... uh, I would like to say something about the other... But you can't say it from that far away, I don't think. The other professors that I worked with. Okay. All right. Yeah. Do it. Bringing it back. Which professors? (laughs) Like... Were they were they sort were they of so my beautiful my women? supervisor for my thesis was uh-huh. uh, Marco Passi. Marco Passi. Yeah. And what was his uh, specialty? Was Crowley. Crowley. Yeah, Crowley. Really? Was, yeah, Crowley was. There was a, a Crowley specialist. Yeah, he so was a Crowley specialist. Crowley outcast. And I I would say also. <laughs> it was just a two of them. <laughs> I would um, also say that his uh, his specialty was modern, uh-huh. late modern, especially in the arts and like theosophy in the arts. Uh huh. And so, yeah. in his study of Crowley, did that include stuff like uh, Crowley's effect on um, modern esotericism? Did he study, like, you know, Crowley's effect on, for instance, like, without Crowley, we might not have had, like, the neo-pagan movement or Well, well one of the things was, was his uh, effect on politics. Oh. 
So Crowley and the Temptation of Politics was, uh-huh. was uh, one of his major, major books. And so it, like wait, Crowley's amb- ambiguities with yeah, with um, with all the different interwar politics. Oh yeah, for had. sure. And, and Crowley had a major influence yeah. on all the shit that was going on. That yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So what was your uh, your master's thesis? I looked at uh, the history of the Thelemic movement after Crowley. Oh, so the, the mess. All the mess. I mean... The, <laughs> the mess that happened. It is kind the of The mess a, that we know. Well, it is kind of a mess, right? Like, mm-hmm. like stuff sort of... I mean, I honestly haven't looked at it too seriously. I've read a couple articles on the internet and stuff, but didn't it kind of, like, diminish for a little while? And then when it did pick up again, there was a lot of, like, legal battles and stuff... And even now, isn't it kind of split between America and Europe a little bit? It's not really split, no. I wouldn't say it's split anymore with, like... So... Uh, this is, like, another long story, but, you know... Well, give us the give us the ten-cent version. Uh, can you wrap it? Yeah, I can. Um, you want to beat Box Joey? <laughs> 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 Sorry, my beatboxing skills are rusty. Uh, Crowley dies, 1947. Oh, spoilers! Wait, I thought he was still alive. Fuck! <laughs> Carl Germer uh-huh. takes over. Yeah. Doesn't care about the OTO. Oh. Only takes care of the uh, literary remains, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, so he's wheeling and dealing with the literary remains. He dies in 1962. Um, there's a big gap. The counterculture happens. Ooh, like the hippies. Oh yeah. <laughs> and he's just having, he's just having fun like, doing acid. And then, like, people are doing acid, they're doing mushrooms, they're doing weed. You know, people like Crowley. I don't know any of those things. They are. love Crowley. Yeah, you know? yeah. you've got Led Zeppelin and who then a, pub, a bunch of publication. Oh, a, bu- yeah. a whole bunch of publication happens because there's no copyrights to Crowley's literature. Uh huh. Because he's dead. Because he's dead. And Gerber. And Germer didn't Gerber. leave any. He didn't leave any. You know. He just wasn't. Wait, so is Germer dead mindset. too? At this point, did Germer die also? Germer's dead in in 1962. Oh shit! So yeah, but, but it's he just initiated. A it's a free for all. Uh, and the, and, he initiated uh, Duquette, correct? Germer? Who? No, Duquette wasn't initiated until the 70s. No, uh, uh, Grady McMurtry. Oh right, yeah. McMurtry. Yeah. So McMurtry was uh, he was an he was an old initiate during Crowley's wow. day, uh-huh. and he reconstitutes the whole order. Okay, this is McMurtry. Yeah. Okay. He does in '85. We got a whole mess that happens with court battles and stuff, which I'm yeah. not going to go into right okay. now. That's a, that's a whole different episode. But, yeah, that's a, a whole, whole different monologue. Whole different monologue. <laughs> I think I've heard you give that monologue before, and it's yeah. difficult to follow. <laughs> yeah. So, Grady McMurtry uh, uh-huh. becomes uh, the leader of the OTO, uh-huh. and a court decision happens on the day of his death in 1985. Oh, jeez. And what is the court decision? That 
he is the OTO guy. Um, but did he specify an heir? He specified that people, that all the remaining ninth degree members uh-huh. vote on the next. Oh, heir. perfect. And how did that go? That, uh, that basically, uh, voted the current administrator of OTO in. Hymenaeus Beta? Hymenaeus Beta. Hymenaeus. Hymenaeus Beta. Yeah. Um, are we allowed to know, we, you don't have to say his real name, we, we might not. Also known as William Breeze. William Breeze. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So he's the current head of the OTO in America. Or worldwide. Worldwide. Okay. Yeah. And so... It started in America. Lon is his second-in-command or it's, something? Um, so in America, it's Sabazius. Sabazius. Right? Sabazius, uh, Grandmaster General Sabazius. Okay. Is and he out of California? That's right. He's in California. Um, and the Deputy Master... Is Lon. Correct. Correct. And I wonder if we get. Long well, we have like a number of kingdoms now. Like uh-huh. there's kingdoms and there's all these. Wait, so you call them kingdoms? If like, it's if it's a national section. Uh huh. Like the SCA. I'm not gonna. Sorry, I'm not gonna. What is SCA? The, <laughs> the Society for Creative Anachronism. It's totally not an occult order. It, okay. it doesn't belong anywhere near the OTO. There's uh, no Baphomet heads or anything. There, like there might be. I don't know. I've never been to an SCA event, but I suspect that they've got at least one Baphomet head. When are we going to C-Bar? <laughs> <laughs> we could go to C-Bar. Um, well, let's... Uh, uh, I guess... I feel like... I want to know. Uh, I think we're gonna wrap up. Yeah, I think, I think we want to some of the uh, in-house parkas to put on for a while. In-house parkas. <laughs> <laughs> we're good. We'll take the check. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Here's what I want to know: When you were hanging out with your buddies at the University of Amsterdam, and you guys were like drinking Heineken, did you drink Heineken? I drank a lot of Heineken. I also uh, drank Amstel beer. Yeah, not it's Amstel not Amstel Light. Yeah, uh, Amstel I, beer. I, so they have branded no. pubs there in Amsterdam. Yeah. Uh, did you? How? How many? How? Did you guys have like free run of the Ritman Library? Yes. Are you so you got you get to just go in there and you're like, oh geez, I really need like the 1564 uh, edition uh, of Michael Myers. Well, no, it's a, it's, okay, so it's a private library. Yeah, but the Ritman Library is a private library. But it must be tied to the University of Amsterdam. It is. It's. It's tied to the Department of the History of Hermetic Philosophy and Related Currents. But but what was the coolest book you ever got to see? The coolest book? Yeah. Probably. Um, Thank you. Something from the uh, 1500s, an original by Jakob Bowman. can't say it in German. I don't well, know. <laughs> can you say it poorly in German and I'll say it uh, correctly in German for our listeners? I'm pretty sure it was the, uh, it had to be from, uh, Jakob Boma. Uh-huh. I think it was, gosh, I can't remember. What was the, can you, what was the most profound truth so, you ever learned there? Ooh. In Rittman Library? Um, or just in, in, in Amsterdam? In Amsterdam? 
In general. Amsterdam, OTO, Redmond Library. It's going to be really mundane. Man. When you were a baby. <laughs> I, want to, I want to ask you some beer questions about Amsterdam. Not to turn, not to stop too much in front of like somebody riding a bike. You know? what, what's your they, most, they will run into what's you. What's your most profound truth? <laughs> Did you ever drink at uh, Brewery Eye? Yes. Didn't you love that I place? I loved it. Oh, they've got such great beer. Brow Rides Eye is yeah, yeah. amazing beer. And what about uh, Dodden's Nest? Dodden's Nest? It's right around the house, right around the corner from the, the House of the Heads where the, where the Rittman Library is now located. Oh, that was before my time. Oh, uh, that's after my time. No, I mean, Dodden's Nest was already there. Yeah, but I had I didn't go there. Oh, you missed out. Oh, you gotta go back to school. So your most, <laughs> so, back, so back to your most profound truth. My most profound truth. Man, that's that's a tough question. It's a it's a tough question. I mean, just spit it I out. loved being in Amsterdam. You know, yeah. I I really had a great time. The professors were wonderful, like uh, Valter, Marco. Peter, they were all like wonderful. They all had different um, uh, perspectives on like what that was. Uh, Peter was doing like medieval stuff and Renaissance stuff, and uh, Marco did more like you know modern stuff. And Valter was just like doing everything. To be honest, I mean, it was more than just, like, what I learned. It was learning about being involved in Dutch culture. It was it was um, learning about the international environment of Western esotericism, which seems to be a very... European and also like Smart plan. pan uh, pan American kind of thing, you know. So just just really interacting with other people in the world. Yeah. If, Pretty very much. Yeah, very yeah. much. Man. If somebody wanted to um, follow in your footsteps and uh, go to the University of Amsterdam and join the center for the history of Western esoteric philosophical arts or whatever it's called uh, what do you think would be a good path for them like let's say they're high schooler right now where yeah. should they try to go to college where would be a good place in the United States for them to go to college to sort of get uh, a foot in the door and that sort of thing um, I would say that they to maybe gravitate towards what uh time period they're interested in it's a very historical uh-huh. type of program so it's, it's a like very it uses degree. the historical method so right. it's but you, got a, you got a degree in philosophy for instance right um right do you think that's a good path or would like religious studies or comparative religion be a good path would uh would just like a general history in a specific period it, it's a good question and uh, i'm gonna make a a bit of a lengthy so, um, the thing is, is it, 
the University of Amsterdam and the whole program of um, Western esotericism is not necessarily for people trying to be practitioners of magic. Uh-huh. It's more of what you want to study about certain figures in history and like what their ideas were. Uh-huh. And to sort of investigate what they were doing. Okay. So whether it was like the modern period or the contemporary period or, you know, the medieval period or, you know, the ancient period, find your resources, Mm -hmm. translate them well, and come up with an idea of like what's going on. You know, and... Mm -hmm. um, I would say that's kind of like the main thing is what are they <clears throat> what are these figures doing that's kind of like what what the interest is yeah you know? does that make sense I it makes no sense to me I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> ask the right question and we can like reformulate that yeah I feel like we, we, we have a ton of material that we've recorded now, and um, and we should probably move to C-Bar. C-Bar! <laughs> so, uh, we're going to... <laughs> so, uh, so we're going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign off, and then maybe we might record more when we get to C-Bar. I wish you just turn it on. Just fucking turn it on. So, I'm going to say... Thank you for listening to My Alchemical Bromance. You can find us online at myalchemicalbromance.com. Dot com. Uh, you can find us on like iTunes. Yeah. You can find us on Google Music thing, and you can find us on Stitcher, and you can find us on I don't know all kinds of crap. We, we, we are also featured predominantly on SpaceX.com. Uh, and Pornhub. Pornhub.com. <laughs> <laughs> the Biochemical Romance channel is the best. <laughs> it's all homunculi all the time. All homunculi all the time. <laughs> Say it, it's real. Take it, it till you make it. Take it till you become it. Uh, okay, that's it. So, uh, cheers. Bye. No, you have to say your other one. Yahtzee. Yahtzee. It's all bullshit. Don't, don't, don't,